Lord, as we open up your word today, we hit an area that God is a, a kind of like the, the pinnacle of uh, the wickedness of man and at the same time the pinnacle of the love and redemption plan of God. And, and uh, Lord, as we look at this, I pray that it would, it would impact us, Lord, those of us who believe in you, those of us who claim a relationship with you, that God, it would, it would cause us to love you more, that it would draw our hearts closer to your heart, and that God, we could represent you in this world to those who don't know you. So make this part of scripture, Lord, real to us, not, not in the sense of the physical, the grossness, but in a sense of your love and what you've done for us. And God, let us then be ignited to go out and to make you known. So I pray you would bless this time, Lord, that you would be glorified in it, and that, God, we would be edified as we study. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we continue here, we kind of hit a place that I think is a example or maybe the greatest example of the wickedness of humanity. Exactly how ugly the heart really is. Humanity hits its worst point here in the gospel, but yet it's the most beautiful part for us who know Jesus. God took this horrible, wicked thing and demonstrated his love to us through that. So you have on one side how horrible and evil man can really be. On the other side, you have how great God's love really is. And only God could bring something like that together and make it work. We're gonna look at the crucifixion. The, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion. The Assyrians did. Hundreds of years before Rome. The Romans just perfected it. And they made it as gross and horrible and painful as they could. The Romans took something that was bad and made it way badder <laughs> so that they could take their victims and put them through the worst event before they died. And it's horrible to think about what they've done. And again, God takes all of that and redeems it and makes it beautiful for you and I when we think about it. Rarely do we think, I believe, do we think of the cross that we don't think of the love of God. And so today as we go through this, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on the physical part. We'll talk about it. But hey, you can Google it. You can look those things up. Because that's not, listen, that's not what's going on here so much. What's going on here is our redemption. And I want to focus on that. I want to look at that and make that our main uh, focus. Now, if you remember, we left off. Pilate well, like, tried to get out of the deal. Then finally, Pilate comes to the place where he can't do it. And verse 26 said, after he scourged Jesus, right? After he scourged him, he released Barabbas. He had Jesus scourged, and then he sent him to be crucified. So the scourging was a horrible part. They'd strap them to a pole and, and whip them and the whips would have bits of glass and metal. So bottom line, when they got done with that, the back of the person was pretty much 
just butchered up, muscles showing, tendons are showing, just gross, it's horrible. And so they've done that to Jesus, and then he sends them to get crucified. Oh, when they do that, they strip you naked, and then they put his clothes back on to send him to be crucified. Think about that. And then he gets to these Roman soldiers, and verse 27 tells us, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So now we get to the part where, hey, these guys, these guys are gross. And here's the thing, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but hey, they didn't have a dog in this fight. In other words, listen, these Roman soldiers were mostly from Caesarea. They would just come to Jerusalem when, when Pilate would need an escorting. They were mostly stationed in Caesarea. They, they weren't real, real familiar with Judaism, in other words, hey, they weren't pro-Judaism, they weren't, they weren't anti-Judaism, they really just didn't even care. So they're not, listen, they're not coming at Jesus because they hate Jews. And they're not coming at him from a political viewpoint because he had none. Here's what I think's going on. I think as they got to Jesus, remember, he never said a word to anybody. They would do things to him and he said nothing. I think as they got to Jesus, here's what, what I think. They're thinking, we got a weirdo here. And we are going to do everything we can think of to humiliate him, to hurt him. And once again, the heart of man. This demonstrates to us how evil the heart of man. They're taking this one, and I believe, listen, I believe these guys knew he was innocent. And they're taking him, and they're beating him, and they rip his clothes off. Think about that. He's been beaten. You put your clothes on. What happens? The blood begins to coagulate, start forming a scab, and then they just rip it off and put another robe on him. And then they put the crown of thorns. And, and you know, we always have the picture with the huge, big, thick thorns. I'm not sure it was that, but it was painful. And then they just take a reed, and they, they, they give him the reed, and then they start bowing down and beating on him with their fist, with the reed and mocking him simply because they were gross individuals, not because, again, not for any other reason, political, religious, or anything, just because they're gross. They're soldiers, and I'm not saying all soldiers do that. Roman soldiers, they were trained to humiliate the people who they were punishing, so they did it to the max. And that's crazy when you think about it. And you think about the whole time, Jesus isn't saying a word. He's not claiming innocence. He's not rebuking them. Doesn't even seem like he's crying out. He's just letting them do it. Because he loves us. We've got to get a hold of that, saints. Because he loves us. He's going through that simply because he loves us. And, and hey, they're not done, man. Listen, hell to the king of Jews, verse 30, they spit on him or spat on him and they took the reed and they struck his head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off and put his clothes back on, and, on him and led him away to be crucified. So once again, they ripped that robe off, put his clothes back on, take him out to be crucified. When they take him out to be crucified, they strip him naked as they walk through the town because they want to humiliate him. The whole 
thing about crucifixion was to humiliate that person as much as possible while they're dying and while they're walking. So when they would take them out to crucify, they would walk them the longest route they could from point A to point B because they wanted everybody to see these people are condemned. You have to remember Jesus wasn't alone. There were two other guys carrying crosses that day. And I believe, as I said last week, I believe Jesus is carrying Barabbas' cross. I believe that was intended for Barabbas. Everything was set up that he would be crucified that day. He got set free. Jesus took his place. What a great picture that he's done that for us. But now as he's getting ready, they're getting ready. They're going to parade him through. And some of us who have been to Israel, been to Jerusalem, we, we do the Via Del Rosa. And, and that always kind of bugs me because of some of the things they did. And they might have gone a completely different direction because Gordon's tomb is in a whole different, different di- direction than that way, but here's what we know. They walked through that city the longest path possible to humiliate him. And as they went through, again, people jeered at him, people said things. So it tells us in verse 32, now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Now the person was supposed to carry their own cross and you know it's interesting when you study this and, and you study all the different commentary, commentaries, the thing that blows my mind is they wanna argue whether he was carrying a whole cross or just a cross beam and what was he, and I'm thinking, who cares? I don't know how much he was carrying. I would, I would probably side with probably just the cross beam because the whole cross I think would weigh too much. I, you know, hey, I did some construction in Bisbee, remodeled a house, and I used eight by eight beams, which I would assume it would be something about that size to put a person on. Hey, an eight by eight beam that's like, like, like eight foot long, you can barely pick that up. So you put a cross beam on it, he's gonna be dragging one end of it. So here's, I, I think it was the, just maybe the cross beam, but hey, if it's a whole cross, it's okay. But Jesus couldn't bear the weight. Remember, he's been up for probably now 36, maybe, maybe close to 40 hours. Remember, he didn't sleep all night. He had celebrated with his, with his I was gonna say his students, with his guys. They did Passover, so he was up all that day, did Passover with them. Then that night in the garden, he's arrested. Then he's interrogated all night. He hasn't slept. He hasn't eaten for a while. Hey, he's in. He's been beaten two times and flogged once or, or scourged once. So, hey, that's a lot of physical stuff to go through. So he's at the point where he can't, and they grab this guy, and it's all four Gospels give us his name. I think that's kind of interesting, right? He's a guy from Cyrene, which is Libya today. And his name's Simon. Now, get him. This guy showed up, I believe, to celebrate the Passover. He came for Passover. And he's hanging out in the streets and maybe even trying to make his way to the temple right, to do the sacrifice, and all of a sudden these Roman soldiers grab him, here, you carry his cross, and why did they pick him? I don't know. Maybe he was the buffest guy there. But they grab him and have him carry the cross. Now, I believe, I believe he got saved doing this. Because in Mark chapter 15, those of you who did your homework, all both of you. 
In Mark chapter 15, when Mark records this, he says, he says Rufus's and Alexander's father, which implies that Rufus and Alexander are part of the church, right? He wouldn't have said that except the church he's writing to. They know Rufus and Alexander, and that tells me they're part of the church, and talks about their dad. Well, I think he got saved, and I think then he led his kids. So, hey, what a divine appointment for, for uh, 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 Simon, right? He shows up for Passover and gets the Passover of his life by finding Jesus and being part of that, and leading his sons to the Lord. Later on in Romans, Paul refers to Rufus in the church there in, in Rome. So again, I think, I think they were part of that. Nonetheless, this guy's carrying the cross. And, and so imagine him, he's in front of Jesus, maybe behind Jesus, I don't know. But he's doing that same long walk. Jesus has a sign on him we'll talk about in a moment. And as they're going along, now comes the, the, the hassle from people. It says, listen, verse 33, and when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that, uh, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink it, and they crucified him. Have you noticed in the Gospels, that's all they say? They get to the place, they give us the, the place, the place was called the place of the skull. We're not sure where that is. I tend to side with those who thinks it's there at the place where, where, where Gordon's tomb is. I kind of, I like that place. I like that place a whole lot better than the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's bright, it's airy, and it's got an empty tomb. That's good enough for me. But hey, I think it was someplace, but it had to be outside the city. You had to take him outside the city, and it was in a place where a lot of people were traveling by. So hey, they wanted everybody to see people who were being crucified. It wasn't necessarily they wanted everybody to see Jesus being crucified. They wanted people to see everyone being crucified. By the way, by this time, in Jerusalem, so Rome hasn't been in power in a long time in Israel, but by this time in Jerusalem alone, Rome had crucified something like 30,000 men. They used this quite extensively. So it was a, I think it was more of a common occurrence than we think about. So they take him, and it just says they crucified him. Now, you can do the study, how they, how they would nail him to the cross. Notice they don't go through all of that. They just say, and they crucified him. Now, I, I think a couple reasons. One is, people were more familiar with it than we are. But I think also, that's not the big deal of what's going on here. The gospel writers want us more understanding what was taking place spiritually. Hey, Jesus suffered horribly physically. There's no doubt about that. And you can look it up. Hey, crucifixion was the worst possible means of execution. Because you didn't, listen, you died a slow, long, agony death. And you basically suffocated because you couldn't breathe. Your weight of your body would, your arms would go up and you couldn't, you couldn't breathe properly and you had to push yourself up with your feet, which were nailed, had a nail through them. So imagine the pain, imagine the pain wrote on his back going up and down every time he tried to breathe, on his wrists where the nails are. You can go through all of that, but that's not the important part. You see, the physical was horrible, 
But what Jesus is about to go through is a bazillion times more horrible. So he's on the cross now. They put him on the cross. They crucified him. And in the middle of verse 35 says, and they divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments uh, among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So, hey, you got to know something, man. That's a fulfillment of Psalm 22, but the guards weren't sitting there going, oh yeah, we need to do this because we gotta fulfill Psalm 22. They didn't know anything about Psalm 22, but they're doing it. Matthew's letting us know there are details that are fulfilled about his life and his crucifixion that fulfill scripture that we need to understand God prophesied centuries before would happen and it happened. So hey, here's a fulfillment. These, these guys, and it was very common. Listen, it's very common for the Roman soldiers to take the clothing of the one who was crucified. Hey, they like to gather clothes. They like to get clothes. I think it would be kind of gross, you know, but hey, they're taking them, and they had the one garment that was one piece. They didn't want to tear it, so, so they cast lots for it, exactly what they would say. But imagine this. Get your mind around this. Here's a person in the worst agony possible and you've been part of that, and now you're down rolling dice for their clothes? It's just, hey, that's how wicked our hearts are. And I want us to understand something, because I think it's important at this juncture. Oh, well, let's read one more. It says, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. So they're just watching him. They just sat down. They're like casually brought their lawn chairs and sat down. I think we need to realize that what we're reading about, I've emphasized, is evil and horrible. But I believe what we're reading is in the heart of every single one of us without Jesus Christ. We need to understand. We, we look at these guys and we want to pass judgment. We want to say they're evil and they're wicked. Hey, you know what? We are evil and wicked without Jesus. It's in our heart since the fall of man, man has been evil. And this might be the, the epitome of it, but hey, it's in the heart of all of us if we don't find the Lord. And I'm not saying every single person is gonna go do something grotesque if they don't, but it's in your heart. It's there. Have you ever had rage go on in your life? If you have, you kind of know something about it. And so now, listen, I read this, and here's what it does for me. It gets me on my knees thanking Jesus for saving me, thanking him for coming in and changing my heart and putting me in a place where, hey, I'm not that person. I'm not one of those because I've been redeemed. So we have these guys, and then, and then it tells us, listen, verse 37, and they put over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Remember, the Jews had trouble with this sign, right? Because Pontius wrote it in three languages. Once again, a high traffic area, and Pontius wanted everybody to see that. And remember what the Jews said? Don't write that. Write that he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, the only time he stood up, right? What I've written, I've written. And so now you have all of that. Now you have people passing by. And hey, I think you have some people passing by. Kind of, and, and remember, what are we celebrating? What are we in the midst of? Passover. 
hey, it's almost time to go and sacrifice the lamb. You got people coming, wanting to get to the temple. You got people passing by. Some of them are probably walking by going, oh, bummer, man, that looks like horrible. And some are more involved. We're gonna read about some hurl insults and get gross about it. Others maybe just ignore it. But hey, I think it's catching a lot of people's attention as they're going and they're going and they're going to the temple and they're gonna sacrifice that Passover lamb while the true Passover lamb is being sacrificed right in front of them. So they put up the sign, and then it says, verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. Now skip down to verse 44 because I want to comment on these guys. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So, hey, you have the soldiers that are coming against him simply because they're gross men. They're kind of ignorant of, of, of some of the stuff, but they're doing what they're doing just because they're gross. Now you have these guys who they're hurling insults because they're wicked. You need to understand, it's interesting they say robbers because they were more than robbers. Hey, they didn't crucify you for, you know, shoplifting at Walmart. They crucified you because you killed people, because you took other people's lives. And we talked about that with Barabbas, and I believe these were Barabbas' buds, part of his posse. And so now, listen, they're being crucified and they're hassling Jesus. Now Luke tells us, Luke lets us know that one of them turned Right? Luke lets us know that one of them said, hey, we're here because we're guilty, yet you're innocent. And we know that Jesus said, hey, today you will be with me in prayer. That's a, that's a great, great conversion story, right? But the other one kept going. But nonetheless, man, they're hurling these things. Now think about Jesus. You're on that cross, and this is probably, he probably got crucified about 9 a.m., and you're on the cross, you're going through that, and then others, listen, then you have just the, to me, the, the, the ignorant people going by, verse 39, and those who passed by blaspheme him, wagging their heads, saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Do you know, do you know how difficult that must have been to hear that? and not come off the cross and let them know, hey, I am the son of God, blow up. I mean, wow. To listen to that, to, to have all of the power that he has. To truly be the son of God and you're hanging on that cross and you have people saying that, you talk about willpower and greater than that, Here's, here's what I call it, love power. Why did he stay on the cross? He didn't have to. He stayed on the cross because he loves us. He did it because of love, because, because that is the only way we can be saved, and he knows that. So in one sense, yeah, he had to, but he didn't have to have to. He could have come off, but he loves us. Do you understand the degree that God loves you? that, hey, I just think of this part, and I'm blown away because I'm a whiner. If I'm hanging on that cross, at least I'm gonna be whining. 
but I'm not gonna take insults like that. Who do you think you are? Why don't you come off of there? And the whole time you're in this agony and not saying a word. Do you understand when Jesus was crucified, he said very little, right? When they first crucified him, what did he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Later on, he does John and Mary, kind of gets that straightened out. But he doesn't say much. He never answers the people ridiculing him and the people insulting him and the people coming after him. He just ignores them. And they keep it up. They keep it up. So these people do it. Likewise, verse 41, now you have these religious people. Verse 41, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted God. Let him deliver him now and and let him deliver him now if he will have him for he said, I am the son of God. Listen to that mockery. Wouldn't Wouldn't it be so hard to stay on that cross? I mean, you could just like... You could do so, you know, you could animate this so great, right? You could do some, some great scenes with this. Him coming down, wiping everybody out, jumping back up there. But Jesus just takes all of that. And he doesn't react. He doesn't come against them. And once again, the world is still doing that to Jesus. You see, the world doesn't mind Jesus as long as the cross isn't involved. Have you ever found that out? You can talk about Jesus. Hey, they want to talk about this loving God and Jesus' love, but you start talking about sin and the cross, and man, people get uptight. Art in a park's going on. Some of you go, I know. That's why I came early. I always like to challenge us during the Art in a Park. Hey, Art in a Park's going on. Go to Art in a Park, get your phone out, and start talking to people about Jesus and bring up the blood of Jesus and the cross and see what kind of response you get. You see, because you just talk about Jesus, that's fine. Because people don't mind a Jesus who's prophetic. They don't mind a Jesus who, you know, this Jesus who's a good guy. But man, you start talking about the cross and you start talking about the blood and ah, they want a Jesus who's all about love to bring us all together as one so we can hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But man, you bring it up and they get uptight. This is, listen, this is a Jesus that the Bible talks about. And he's on that cross and they're mocking him and they're making fun of him and and the world today does the same exact thing. Hey, it hasn't changed much. Oh, they may not be as vicious, but they'll say the same kind of things. And so it hasn't changed. Now we kind of transition from that and verse 45 says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. Now listen, man. Now just imagine for a moment Try and get us back there. We're there. Jesus is on the cross. Maybe we're a pilgrim and we came to, we came to celebrate Passover. And you show up in Jerusalem. And it's getting close to the time to, to, to sacrifice your lamb. It's around noon. And all of a sudden the lights go out. I mean, wouldn't that make you think? 
All of a sudden, it's, now I don't know if it was pitch dark. Doesn't seem like it, but it got dark. Why did it get dark? Well, it wasn't an eclipse. How do I know that? Because I was there, no. (laughs) Because of this, it's Passover. Passover was celebrated during the full moon. You can't have a full moon in eclipse at the same, that doesn't work. So you know what time of year it is, you know it's not an eclipse, and all of a sudden it gets dark. Here's what I know, hey, from working with some tribal people in Mexico, here's what I know, people that live remote like that and are not influenced by other things and you know, all, all this stuff, they're very aware of weather patterns and weather conditions because it matters to them and, and uh, hey, that's how they live their life. They don't, have, they don't have their iPhone to get in a weather app to check things and so they know. And, and I remember being in one area and the wind changed and those guys were like freaking out. The wind's not supposed to blow that direction right now. Something's wrong. And they know that something's gonna change. Something's gonna happen. Hey, it gets dark at noon. Something's wrong, right? I mean, people know that's not normal. Something's wrong. Something's not quite right. Yet it seems very little reaction written about that. Oh, there's secular writings about that event taking place, about an event where the world went dark and it wasn't an eclipse and they're trying to figure out why. Because listen carefully, this wasn't just an isolated Jerusalem darkness. This was a worldwide darkness. Why? Because God is judging sin. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on the Son of God for our sin. And when judgment comes, it gets dark. And God is bringing that judgment. I believe he was judged from noon till three. So it's from noon, it says from the sixth hour till the ninth hour, there was darkness. That's the judgment taking place. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lami sabachthani, or sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus cries out. Now listen what it says. He cries out with a loud voice. He's been on that cross for from nine to three is three hours, or nine to noon is three hours, right? Noon to three is another six hours. And did you pick it up? He cried out with a loud voice. He would have been exhausted. Any human being would have been exhausted. Jesus musters all of that strength and the ability to raise himself up to do that on those nails that are in his ankles, through those nails that are in his hand, in his wrist, and he yells it. It's not quiet. He yells with a loud voice so everybody knows what's going on and here's what's happened. He's forsaken at that part and we talked about that a couple different times. Listen, man, God forsook his son for our sin. God had to turn his back on that sin. And that was intense. The son and the father have never been separated from all eternity past. How long ago was that? Forever ago. How long is forever ago? It's forever. They have never been separated, ever. And now all of a sudden that takes place. Hey, this is an event, I don't think, listen, I don't think we can quite wrap our heads around it logically. I don't think we can quite wrap our heads around it physically. 
And it's even a little bit hard theologically, but listen carefully. If God is going to judge sin, he's going to turn his back on sin. And if Jesus is taking our sin, that has to take place. It's one of those elements in the Bible that it takes a, it takes a step of faith to grasp this. But how, listen, how horrific that was that time for Jesus. Hey, the, 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 the physical stuff, horrible. This unbearable for him. This is a time where he cries out. He didn't cry out in pain, did he? He didn't cry out when his back's being rubbed against that, that beam. He didn't cry out when they drove the nails in him. When did he cry out? When he was forsaken. The spiritual part, now he's crying out. Think about that. This is one of the things that he's the only time he really cries out in that way. And then some of those who stood there, verse 47, when they heard that, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it for him to drink. And the rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. That's not what he's crying. But listen how messed up they are. And then it tells us, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. What was the last thing he said? To tell us die. It is finished. It's done. And then, listen carefully, he gave up his spirit. Hey, the Jews did not kill Jesus. The Romans did not kill Jesus. Even we Christians like to say, we killed Jesus. No, we didn't. Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus chose the time. And he gave up his spirit, and now he's gone. That had to be intense standing there, anybody who was around there. And next week, we'll look at some of the reactions. But look at how the... the uh, material things around them reacted. Check this out. Verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Listen, man, that veil, that veil was, was like 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. It's up there. And all of a sudden, you're in there as a priest and you're gathered around. Remember, it's Passover. There's hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, men in that courtyard sacrificing for Passover. Imagine some of them glimpsing in there. And, and if you're a priest in there, you're going, what just happened? And it's interesting because it does say from top to bottom, and most of us understand that's God tearing it. Man couldn't tear it from top to bottom. But it's interesting that somebody was there as an eyewitness to see that it went from top to bottom. Somebody in that temple came out and said, dude, that veil just ripped from top to bottom. Now, my mind goes a lot of places when I hear that. Number one, I think, if it's ripped open and you see behind it, because no one ever went behind the veil except for the high priest, and he only went one time a year, and, you know, they had to put a rope on him in case he died and there was sin and all of that stuff. But, you know, the high priest, I don't know if the high priest ever came from behind the temple during this time from behind the veil and said, hey, guys, there's nothing back there. The ark's gone. The ark is not back there. And now I'm thinking it's ripped open. Now everybody knows the ark isn't back there. But on a serious note, that veil being torn, 
Most of us understand it gives us access to the Holy of Holies, right? According to Hebrews chapter four, now we have unlimited access into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. But I think greater than that, here's what we really need to understand. When that veil was torn, Judaism is over. It's done. That's God's demonstration of that is finished, that work is done, a new work is beginning, and a different work, not the same work. And I think it's important to understand because I, frankly, I get a little bummed out when people come, come and ask me if I keep certain Jewish holidays. No, I'm not a Jew, why would I keep a Jewish holiday? And they go, but don't you understand? Here's what I understand. God tore the veil. It's over, Judaism is done, it's finished. It's fin Jesus is the finished work of Judaism. So you have that, you have that anomaly going on. That had to be buzzing, listen, that had to be trending, right? Everybody's putting it on Instagram, their hashtag Tornville, you know, and everybody's like, wow. And it's going all around, because you had, you had thousands of people gathered there. So that didn't, and then, oh, it gets even better. Check this out. And then the rocks were split. Now, I think verse 51 should end kind of, and the next part's parenthetical. So here's what happens. There was an earthquake. So the veil tore, and then there's an earthquake, and some rocks split open. Now, here's the interesting thing about the rocks that split open. Again, I think 52 and 53 is parenthetical because it happens later. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, and they appeared to many. So Matthew's letting us know something that happened after the resurrection, right? So he's kind of looking at that. But does that blow your mind? Like, People popping out like Pop-Tarts, I guess. You know, pew, popping out of the ground. I mean, hey, that would make you think something a little bit extraordinary just happened. I mean, an earthquake would be bad enough, and earthquakes can just happen. But rocks split open, and then people popping out of graves. And, and later on, even Paul says in, in, in Romans, I'm sorry, in Corinthians, that over 600 people went in and said, we were dead yesterday, today we're alive. That's a little spooky, isn't it? I think we read that way too casually. Have you ever ran into anybody who was buried for a while? I'm not talking about near-death experiences or hospital experiences. We're talking about people in the ground, popping out. Never heard of it. That would freak me out, man. Like, it's, sometimes it's fun. When I was younger, it was always fun to go in cemeteries. When you're in high school, you could see how long you could stay in there late at night, walking around. You guys do that? Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Someone came popping out of the ground. You talk about a coronary. I mean, these people came out. Now, here's, here's the thing. All of this stuff really happened. It's not make-believe. So we get all of this, and this is talking about what physically took place, but here's some scriptures. You can take a picture. Here's some scriptures that talk about what spiritually was going on. And these scriptures all talk about our sin being forgiven. Every one of those is about what we gained when Jesus died on the cross. 
And it's about our forgiveness. It's about our sin being wiped out. It's about him becoming sin for us so that we're forgiven, et cetera, et cetera. That's what was taking place. So God's love way outshines the evilness of man. Oh, the evilness of man is wicked and ugly, but God's love is bigger. And you and I need to understand that. Here's the thing, church. We should be more busy about making sure that people understand that Jesus Christ died for them than we are worried about, hey, what's the latest thing that happened at church and I'm mad about it? We should be concerned about what's going on in people's, in in reality, in the world, and talking to people about Jesus and letting people know, hey, there's someone who died for your sins. We get kind of caught up in our, in our circles, right? And we start doing some silly little things. And we all get caught up in that at different times. Shouldn't we be more caught up on, there are people right now that are gonna be at Art in a Park that need to hear about Jesus? Gonna go tell them? Hmm. What about tomorrow at work? Or at Fry's? Or at, of all places, Walmart? I'm banned from there. I'm not allowed to go there. <laughs> My wife doesn't let me go. But listen, we need to be people who are about letting people know we read this event and it should impact our lives so that we want to grab a hold of people and let them know there is someone who died for your sins. Let's stand up and pray.